Hello, and welcome to the Tavern Chat Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Tenkar, and this is another in our Designers and Makers series of Fireside Chats. Uh, today, I have Tom from Throwy Games. Tom, welcome. Awesome to be here. Uh, it should be awesome to be here, especially since you know we were just at uh, a local con, Total Con, uh, over the past weekend. If if we only had spare time, we could have done this over there. But I, I think there was just too much uh, <clears throat> drinking going on at the bar to be able to accomplish that as often as I would have liked. And too much crazy uh, conversations about work, work, work. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, you, you got uh, nailed down for work, and I definitely saw that. Of course, when Bill gets going, you can't stop him. So, But Bill's not here. So let's let, let's let's get to the initial questions and then uh, move on to our uh, sandbox. Okay. All right. Uh, tell us about your first RPG experience. Oh wow. Um, well, I I had moved to a new school in the probably a month after eighth grade started, and uh, a bunch of kids during lunch were playing with these funny dice that I've never seen before. And when I asked uh, what it was, the the kid that was DMing said, this is Dungeons and & Dragons, and it was the um, Moldvay Basic, and they were playing uh, Keep on the Borderlands. Well, so I wanted to play, so he invited me over to his house that weekend. Uh, it was a Friday, so he invited me over on Saturday, taught me how to play, rolled up my first character, which was uh, a one-hit-point magic user. Oh, uh, lovely. Yeah, it was, yeah, one hit point magic user. Uh, best part of the story is I got to the, we, he had me approach the front gate of the keep. I asked the guard to let me in. He said no. I talked some shit and he put a crossbow bolt in my chest and killed me. <laughs> so my so, first, so he lasted about, he lasted about five minutes. Ah, uh, old school gaming at its core. Holy shit. Well, I learned uh, that I needed to not, you know, talk trash to those that were when I was including keep cards and uh, immediately said, all right, I'm rolling up a new character and I rolled up a thief. Uh, how many hit points did the thief have? Obviously more than one at least. I think I didn't do much better. I think he was like two. But um, he was going to be playing in the group game uh, later later on, like on Monday. So that was good. But the funny part of the story is, is that... Um, we got a week, about a week of gaming in before he announced to me on the next Friday that he was moving away. And he handed me the Moldvay box and dice said, these are yours, you run the game. So I became a GM a week later. Damn. And that really is that passing of the torch when he gives you the holy book of rules. Yeah, I think probably now in retrospect, he probably, probably regrets that because I still have the... Rule book, the keep on the borderlands, the dice. I don't have that particular box anymore. It got flattened and thrown away. Oh yeah, I, I think like my original Gamma World box is like three corners are broken. I know what that's like. <laughs> Indeed. All right. Well, then, uh, what is your go-to RPG system and why? Uh, I play. 
three systems quite a bit. I play BX because I still love it from you know nineteen eighty two. Uh, I play Swords okay. and Wizards. I play Swords and Wizardry a lot because I love the simplicity. And lately, I've been playing a lot of Call of Cthulhu. Well, that you know, I have the starter box. It's literally right to my left by my desk, and I I, I love it, man. I mean, I already have the seventh edition hardback books, but the starter box so approachable. Well, I was a fifth edition a fifth edition fan for a long time, but then when I read seventh, they simplified it. So it's so much fun to play. Yeah, I mean, I I think. I have, I think I have the fifth edition uh, softback, and I maybe the third edition box set. That goes back to the eighties, I guess. I mean, most of my Call of Cthulhu books are all the fifth edition stuff, but you know the the great thing about Call of Cthulhu is it's portable between editions, very very with a simple you know simple bit of work. Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't change much. Usually, it seems like and the, and the changes that they make are generally for the best. So at least it's a good evolution. It's not like the D and D evolution, which went from two uh, E to three E to. Uh, we're just gonna not even branch off. We're just gonna stop what we're doing and make a full, new new game for E, and then backtrack with five E. I guess. Yeah, it's like Call of Cthulhu kept the core mechanics in place and just simplified things or added things, whereas D&D just like completely turned it on its side. Yeah, which was impressive. Well, again, 4E, if you love it, God bless you. Uh, I, I never enjoyed uh, World of Warcraft that much, so maybe that's why I don't like 4E. I'm not even well, a bad dig. Well, we played 4E a little bit when it came out, and, you know, it was... People wanted to play it, and I wanted to play, so we just played it. But it definitely wasn't my favorite. Yeah, but I will say that I liked four more than like three X. So that's probably something you don't hear every day. No, no, that's 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 true. I mean, at least you could you could see the evolution from two E to oh my god, two E skills and powers, and then from skills and powers to 3x you could kind of see that evolution 4e was just like you know planting a new tree and calling it dnd yeah i agree all right well since you're a bx guy this is a good question for you racist class yeah your name uh love it actually uh, i love the simplicity of it. it you don't have to get into the nuances of did i pick the right race for this class or can i even be this race for this class or this class for this race and you know it got it gets away from the whole min max you know if you pick pick a half elf you do better or whatever i didn't like that so i love the simplicity of you know your dwarf your dwarf your dwarf just simple okay where do you stand on save or die and not the podcast the actual mechanic i love it but you know to be used judiciously uh i think it's i like games with a lot of risk and a lot of um you know a, a lot of concern for safety so it's not like a walk in the park every time you play one of the reasons why i don't play 5e that much because i feel like that doesn't have a lot of risk so uh i love save or die i think it's you know, applicable, you know, poison and venom are real things that can kill you in real life. So why can't they kill your character as well? So I, I love it, but I don't overuse it either. Well, it's, it's interesting that you, yeah, you say that's hard to die in, in, in 5e, uh, just to, uh, entertain you and the audience. 
I'm running three games at, at Gary Khan next week. And uh, I was told by Zach Glazer that they're listed as 5e games. And I I told him, you, you know, I, I don't run 5e. He's like, you just run what you want to run. So now I'm kind of tempted. To, I'm going to run Swords with Relight, pretty much guaranteed. But I might throw some 5e mechanics in, like Advantage, Disadvantage, and maybe a few others to placate the 5e expectations. But it's going to be lethal. Yeah, I mean, like, uh, one of the things I, I do like about 5e is Advantage, Disadvantage. I feel like that's a, a, a beautiful mechanic, and you know you can just put that into any system. So, yeah, and I, you know, it's like, hmm, I give somebody a plus four bonus to hit, which doesn't always scale well, or I can use advantage, and I think that scales better. So yeah, I think that's that's certainly something that Five E brought to the table that really. Uh, I think adds to the whole. Um, no matter what D twenty based system you're playing, if you use that instead of certain bonuses, I, I I think it's a better experience. Yeah, one of the things we did way back in the day, and and I actually came up through um, a lot of uh, ice merp for a long, long time. And one of the things we used Ooh. to, oh yeah, I loved merp. I loved you know the it has it was such rich in in Tolkien, um, you know lore and stuff. It was such a fun game to play. I mean, obviously, you got to be good at math to play the game quickly, but it's still a good game. But we right. we actually introduced that open-ended concept in Middle-Earth, where if you roll a 96 or higher, you roll again. Um, we, oh, actually, yeah. we actually introduced that in the D20 system for a while, just for fun, where if you rolled a 19 or 20, you got to roll another die. Um, I'm not sure what it was. It might have been your hit die, just to see if you could get a little higher roll because some of these creatures had a pretty hot, tough, you know, to hit. So it wasn't quite advantage, but it was sort of one of those things where we gave you a little extra bonus. Okay. Um, listen, you all house ruled back in the day. I think the house ruled rules out, and you know, like I don't know, weapon speed which none of us can understand in any of the groups I was in. But we also added in critical tables and fumble tables, and those always changed from uh, campaign to campaign as to what worked and what didn't work. But Yeah, we ruled out. We ruled out, like, item saving throws and that stuff, too. Oh, yeah. Um, for for us, the item saving throws was, all right, so if you yourself lost your savings, we only cared about the important stuff. So if you had magical items, yeah, they often had to make a save if it was if it was bad enough. It was a minor fireball. If it was a five hit by fireball, you, you weren't going to be rolling for your items. If you got hit with like a 12 hit by fireball, you failed your save, but you still live. But I guess there weren't any hard and, and fast rules for us back then. We kind of played it a little, uh, a little wiggly. We actually played it that if you uh, if you died by that kind of mechanism, like a fireball, or whatever, then most of your stuff just got evaporated as well. They used to they used to irritate players, but you know, if you got nuked that badly, oh yeah, I kept the whole uh, loot the body or pass it on to. Well, I'm gonna pass it on to my henchmen. Okay. You know, a lot of times with the other players, like I want that sword. 
Yeah, we used to, because uh, again, back in the day when you played BX or or One E, it was it was lethal. So you're always picking picking loot off of other people's bodies. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, and I'll be honest with you, when uh, I used to game, we very rarely had clerics. Man, nobody wanted to play a cleric back then. I don't know why that was. See, I love clerics. After I got, you know, I played my thief for a while. I kind of, you know didn't really want to be a thief but it was kind of a neat thing to be on your own but when i started really playing a lot of groups i was almost always a cleric yeah i mean when i had a chance i i except for my a few one-off sessions my D playing whether it was 1e or 2e um was old gm i could play in others like other systems like rifts and uh a few other you know Games that we played, other people separate the DM, but when I came to D and D, that was like, no, 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 only Eric can run D and D. I never got it, and my players just hated clerics. They never wanted to have a cleric in a party. It was always like, ah, hey, we have a paladin; he can turn on dead once he's third level. We we don't we don't need a cleric. I was like, Jesus. But once I came back to gaming and got to sit behind virtual tabletops and the virtual tables, uh, I I almost always played a cleric. I found clerics to be very versatile and very, it was rare that you had nothing to do. Whereas sometimes as a thief or a magic user, you'd be sitting there going, yeah, I'll just sit in the back. Cleric, you always get the hands dirty. I like that. Well, I also, in many games, I always try to pick the class or the character that people need. So, you know, like Call of Cthulhu, you're the alienist or the, the psychologist or the medical doctor. You're playing something like, um, Twilight 2000 and you're playing like the medic. So you're always playing somebody that everyone needs. No one wants to let die. Right. And it's a class that everybody needs, but sometimes like nobody wants to, to play. It's like, oh, I don't want to be the heel, but you know, somebody has to play it. And Hey, with a clerk, if your spells are used up, you can still whack with the mace. You're wearing decent armor. You can still turn undead. There's a lot of stuff that clerics can do to keep themselves in the game. Uh, constantly, even if their spells are out, which you don't always have with other clerics. Yeah, that was, when you say heal bot, that reminds me of clerics in 4E. Gosh. Well, I mean, when I used to play EverQuest with my old face-to-face gaming group, I was either, you know, a paladin, a shaman, or a cleric, because nobody else wanted to play the healer. So, depending on how much healing we need, it it kind of decided what kind of class I was playing. I don't mind. It was fun. All right. Let's move on to the last question, and we'll start hexcrawling this little expedition. Uh, Tom, what would the teenage you think if they could see what you've accomplished in the hobby uh, at this point in your life? (laughs) That's a good question. Um, I don't know. I, I guess I'd be surprised that I would have taken it as far as I did. Um, I think I always knew I was going to be in IT, but to, to be to be a writer, I, uh, you know, an author, um, I, I think I would be very surprised. I think I'd be I'd be pleased, but I I definitely feel like I'd be surprised. Right. I wouldn't have guessed it. That's for sure. Oh, uh, I I know that I'd have the teenage me was hoping to be a writer for for TSR at the time, or write comic books. You know, and uh, well, we didn't have blogging, but the idea that I would be a creator in this industry and 
and be, I guess, well-known, at least within our corner of it, never would have dreamed. Not just teenage me, 30-year-old me never would have dreamed this. So, I mean, it's, I mean, I wanted to be an artist in the worst way. I just did not have the ability. And, you know, I know a lot of that's, you know, just practice and determination. But, I, you know, I was really, really bad. So I knew that was out of the picture. Um, but I was always good. I was very strong in, in English. Uh, I was a, I won a national award for poetry in high school. Uh, I, won, nice. I won an award for short story writing. Um, and I loved history to the point where I was almost history. Uh, I almost went to school to be a history teacher, uh, but I ended up falling into IT just, you know, the roundabout way because my dad did it and it came natural. But I I wouldn't have guessed I would have used some of that English skill I had in high school later in life. That's It's still surprising to this day even. Well, uh, I was a history major, but that was more because I had an interest in history. I had no idea what I wanted to do with a real career in my life. So thank, thankfully I stumbled into civil service. Well, my grandfather was a huge history buff and loved the American, pretty much American uh, revolution through civil war. And that was my favorite time period as well. And I, at one point I didn't know quite a bit about that stuff, but that's long forgotten replaced with gaming knowledge. Yeah. For me, uh, when I did my history major, it was American, American history, uh, pretty much revolution to civil war, uh, world war II and middle ages to the renaissance those were the kind of concentrations that i i had but yeah i've lost most of that knowledge Any knowledge i retained of world two i probably saw on the history channel all hitler all the time yeah right or at least that's what it used to be now they, they've got more non-history shows on the history channel i can only watch so much of the porn stars and uh what's the other one american pickers you know. <laughs> yeah, I watch like so little TV. If I watch TV, it's going to be like, you know, one of the Marvel shows on Netflix or uh, I'm usually watching either sci-fi or fantasy movies. I just don't really watch like regular TV anymore. Just can't, can't, just can't stomach most of it. Oh, I have Amazon Prime and I have Netflix. And uh, I am not saying that this is what I do, but if you happen to have uh, a virtual private network, a VPN, um, there are certain shows that you can't get in America right now on Netflix that you can get in the UK, theoretically. Not going to say which ones, but I could say that you could save money with a combination like that if you want to watch certain science fiction. I've, certain, I've heard certain rumblings about that, yeah. You know, so in, in theory... A lot better than using showboxing your phone. I hear That's you. what I heard. So, I, I I think we've now hit the uh, the hex crawl part of this. Now, we spent time together over the weekend at a at TotalCon up in Massachusetts. Now, was this your first TotalCon, or have you gone? You've gone before, but just for the day, right? I've gone the last several years just for the day. I usually make a day trip and and actually just play board games mostly. Um, this is the first time for TotalCon proper that I did uh, a long weekend. However, I did go in 1984 to Mass Confusion, which which was which was the predecessor. Um, ah. I, yeah, our high school group. Uh, 
we had a high school D&D group and we decided that we were going to um, come up with an idea to raise money. So we did we did this thing called the Dragathon, which was 24 hours of D&D and we had people sponsor us per hour uh, to see if we could last, you know, last the full 24 hours. We made a boatload of money and spent it on their whole group and chaperones staying up at Mass Confusion. I think at that point it was in Worcester at some university or, or technical school complex. Well, I got to say, I really had a great time this week. This past week. It was my first time to TotalCon, and I'm like hitting myself in the head. It's like, damn it, it was close enough I could have been driving to this place years ago. Yeah, TotalCon is great. Um, this is my first year playing RPGs at TotalCon. Like I said, the last four or five years, I've just gone up to do... Um, board games but yeah i like it i like it it's it's tricky because it is close in proximity and time-wise to gary con so it's a little tricky there but uh for me it's like like you said it's a drive so it's great yeah I, I, and i and not not different gary con gary con is great but if if i had to choose between one of the other, one or the other right now it'd be like hmm three and a half hour drive or go through the tsa at the airport Wait in the plane that might get delayed or canceled like last year. Uh, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> if I had to choose, I'd probably go TotalCon. It puts more of the, uh, the 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 travel power in my hands, and they treat us like gold. Holy crap! And actually, this year, um, even if I compare the last, like this year's program and last year's program, there's a lot more special guests this year. They must be really trying to to really push the RPG bit of TotalCon because it's notoriously a, a board game convention. Yeah, actually, I, I again, I I didn't play any games. I was pretty much running the uh, frog guy table most of the weekend or uh, at the hotel bar. But um, I I saw a lot of role playing games. Being played and you know, the frog guy table we had you know the table wasn't a, really a full setup it was kind of like a last minute thing so it was a lot of 5e uh two or three swords and wizardry releases and and that was it no pathfinder and i now they have the pathfinder society had that whole i don't know atrium or garden area in front of the bar so you knew that there were pathfinder players there People, you know, came along. They bought the five E books every day. I had multiple people asking me, "Oh, you know, why don't you have more swords and wizardry out?" Not one person stopped and asked about Pathfinder. One did ask about Starfinder, but nobody asked about about Pathfinder. So I'm wondering if that's also uh, a sign of the times with the new Pathfinder two coming out. Nobody wants to even look at the old books. Well, I mean, I I made you know I traversed the hallway back and forth between the vendor area and you know board game area through the RPG rooms at the far end, and you know that that organized uh, Pathfinder play area wasn't always full. There was lots of times when there was empty tables. I, I yeah, I gotta say, Pathfinder seems like it's starting to starting to slow down. I think this this weird time between first and second edition, maybe. Well, that's what we kind of had between four uh, E and five E. Yeah, once once they announced D and D next, you, you saw interest in four E just shut down. Yeah, from what I understand with Pathfinder two, it's not going to be wholly compatible with original Pathfinder, so that's going to might be an issue with why people don't want to buy older or recent Pathfinder products because it might not work with the new game when it comes out. 
Yeah, luckily for me, I know little about Pathfinder. Yeah, I, I, I know more about Five E by far than I do was, Pathfinder. I played it once, so I can't. I can't. I can at least say that I've played it, so I can have an opinion. But I remember, I remember one of the first attacks I made in Pathfinder. I rolled a twenty, and I was like critical. And the GM was like, "No, you got to roll a two hit again a second time to make it a critical." I'm like, "That's crap." Well, you got to confirm your critical. I, That's nonsense. And and just because we're talking criticals, uh, you know, as a player, I always enjoy criticals because they're exciting. But as a DM, I, I realize that in the in the long run, criticals are a player fuck. I mean, oh, yeah, you you're, can. You're, go ahead. You just you could just slay players all day with criticals, man. Well, that's right because you know the. The monsters the players encounter are meant to be defeated. So a critical inflicted on them is really just short term. And then you have, you know, new enemies cropping up, whereas criticals inflicted on the players have a long term effect. They're not going to heal up. Or, you know, it's more to heal up. So you're, you're really working the players' resources more. I don't think the players have, you know, most players don't see it that way. They just see the excitement of, ah, natural 20. You know, but yeah, it, it it isn't to their benefit to have such a system. Well, I always tell my players that you know whatever is good for you is good for the monsters too. And and in my BX game, which we've been playing now every month for eighteen months straight now, um, nice. We 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 uh, the rule is natural twenty is a critical, which is max damage. So you don't roll for damage, you just take the max. And, you know, when they, they think right. it's great until the monster rolls, gets max damage, and they're like, oh, man. Oh, man, that, that hurt. I, I used to, my, my last sort of was for campaign, my players, you know, won a critical. So I, I, I would leave the option to them. I go, listen, you can either take max damage or you can roll the damage dice twice. And uh, most of the time, they would take the max damage. Yeah. yeah it's that's that's i've seen you know players do well when they're rolling well like that but man i've had you know and i and i also run my bx with no screen they see my rolls so they know they get I, there's no fudging it's a natural 20 they see it they know they're done oh yeah i you know 99 percent of my rolls when i'm playing on a vtt are right out there in the open right right there in the uh whatever you call it the chat box um and when i'm running at a table the only roles that I'm going to, you know, be doing in secret are wandering monster checks and stuff like that. Everything else, combat, that's a lot in the open. Oh, yeah. They, I like the players knowing that they're going to be screwed. Well, I, I wouldn't go so far as saying they're going to be well, screwed. All right, maybe you can say that. Listen, I'm the, kind of, I'm the kind of person that I can't roll for shit when I'm a player, but as a GM, I'm deadly. Oh, okay. So, in other words, you're like Tim Shorts. Who, uh, whenever I rolled ran games with Tim, he'd almost always half his rolls would always be natural ones. Whether he was rolling damage to hit, saving throw, it, it was it was an inside joke. Classic. Yeah, I'm the same way. It's like I've uh, I'll I'll roll three or four natural twenties in a BX session almost every every month. But you know when I played Skeeter's game on Sunday. Total on, I think my highest roll the entire four hours was a seven. Damn. Now, uh, what, now what was Skeeter running? That was uh, was that Swords and Wizardry or Call of Cthulhu? 
No, that was Swords and Wizardry with the, with the Crypt of the Science Wizard, which was a great adventure, which was a train wreck of players. We we were terrible. We rolled we all rolled <laughs> we all rolled bad. We made bad choices. Uh, you know, we just missed obvious things. We were just it was just, you know, you know what happens. It's a long weekend, it's Sunday morning, everyone's exhausted or you know, still hung over and you know, you add bad rolling to that, it was just a train wreck. All right. Well the key question is, did you have fun? Loved every minute of it. Yeah, loved, loved the game was great, and the whole week, the whole weekend was great. So, yeah, I, I got to, you know, like, like you, you know, GaryCon, Game Hole, North Texas. You you meet different people at all these locations. People that you, but I, I got to meet people that I never otherwise would meet, but I know from them posting comments at the tavern or participating in the Discord server. And I finally got to put faces to names, and that was awesome. <laughs> yeah, that's what I lo- that's what I love about cons is that you get to bump into people that you've you know talked to or emailed a couple of times you know online, but then you get to sit down and have a conversation or play a game with. It's great. I mean, I just I love cons. I, I wish I could do more, but it's just you know it's ju- being on the East Coast, it's kind of tough to get westbound quite a bit. Yeah. No. And. Again, Total Con is a nice. It's, it's, I'm I'm thinking that four hours is pretty much my limit for a day's drive without me coming out of the car looking like a cripple, bent over like a hunchback. But uh, yeah, no, uh, you know, Total Con came came inside that wire, and it, it's a it's a it's close enough, thankfully. Yeah, for me, it's like between two and two and a half hours. It's, it's the perfect ride. So it's, it's, I'm going to try to go back again. I mean, I really want to get to Gary con next year. Cause I haven't been there yet. Um, but with it so close to the total con, it's just a hard sell. Well, yeah. Uh, like I said like, you know, like Rachel and I might have a difficult decision uh, next year. If she happens to, you know, stumble into new employment, uh, she's probably not going to be able to do back to back cons. And, you know, I, I just enjoy going to these things with my wife. It's a, it's a vacation for both of us, and it's enjoyable. And I like knowing who my roommate is, as opposed to some random person I might share a room with. But, uh, you know, if I had to choose between the two, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to choose total. Not, nothing against Gary Khan. But, I feel like I need to get out there at least once, you know, to the pilgrimage. Oh, same, same certainly. Thing, same thing with Game 1, to go at least once. Um, but my, my good cons are always going to be total. Total con... Uh, in some, in some, you know, some length, whether it's a day or a weekend, and of course, North Texas is my favorite con. Uh, besides, obviously, my own, <laughs> but I love North Texas. So, yeah, North Texas is, I guess, like home away from home. For me. Yeah, like, I love that place. You know, I, I get there and I feel like I'm I'm home again. You know, I see people I see once a year, but it's like you just saw them the previous week. Yeah, it doesn't lose a step. Yeah, it's 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 a great con. See, see, Mike, we're we're giving you free advertisement for you and Doug. Well, I don't like Mike. I just like the con. No, I'm kidding. Oh, okay. Well, listen, I I shared a room with Mike and Zach at my first uh, my first Gary con, and uh, good good roommates. It was an interesting time. Yeah, Mike's Mike's good people. We, we we've been working closely last year and this year for the North Texas exclu- exclusive module, and uh, 
yeah, he, he's fun to work with because he's, you know, he runs it kind of loose and, and, and easy. <laughs> he's just, he's not like, uh, he's not high strung or anything, which is fun. Right. He's not dictating. I need you to do this, 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 this. It's like, I'm looking for something like, but, you know, you're, you're a proven entity when it comes to creating adventures, man. So I can see why he'd, he'd have the ability to trust your, you and your decisions and your results. Well, it was last year. It was funny. He just like, I told him I was, do- was going to do it. And he just like, he just, he told me, he's like, I'm just going to stay out of your way, Tom. I know you're going to do it. <laughs> and I was done like three months early. Well, there you go. You see, I called, I, I called that one accurately. Now, and you're very busy when it comes to uh, all these projects because you work with North Texas. Um, you work with Frog Guy Games and you have your own stuff in the, uh, in the fire. Yeah, I like to run uh, at 110% because then I'm, I feel like I'm, the creative stuff is always being applied and always being used. So I like that. I'm, I kind of, I'm pretty, pretty driven about that kind of stuff. But I have to admit, right now at this moment in time, I am, I've never been this busy as far as uh, work. I've got like too many things going on. I've got to figure out how to try to minimize any wasted effort so that I can really f- dial it up and get it done. So now, okay, of the projects that you are working on, which ones can you discuss? Well, I can discuss pretty much all of them except for the one that um, I just got introduced to with Bill and Edwin at North Texas. So I won't talk about that. Or I'm sorry, I, don't, I won't. I won't talk about that one because that's that's top secret, obviously. But I could tell you this. Uh, well, I got the March. Uh, March issue of Back to Basics number eight. I've got Gamazine, which is a Kickstarter for for Gamma World fanzine. I've got the North Texas exclusive. I've got the TMNT adventure from last year. I have a top secret adventure for North Texas this year. Another Gamma World adventure for this year. I have a secret adventure I'm running at North Texas. That's a whole, that's going to be probably Swords and Wizardry, but it's going to be a complete new take on on uh, a game as far as the, um, the how it's run. And, of course, I've got um, two or three other little side projects just sort of bubbling up. So, Yeah, you're not busy at all. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's all it's all going to be done by, you know, literally by May because i got to get everything printed and ready to go. Now, I won't, like the stuff that I'm running, the top secret uh, and the, the special adventure I'm running, those won't be printed right away those will be printed later on at some point i'll just be play testing them but the i'm gonna try to have the gamma world printed and done and the tmnt one needs to be done because that's last year's and then of course the two fanzines next month that's like right now that stuff's got to get done in the next two months so i'm just cranking on that stuff damn plus i'm working on a a text-based game for the internet, which has been a long road that I'm about 50% done with. I'm hoping to launch the end of this year. I have my own uh, binary um, role-playing system that I'm trying to build a box set for this year, plus two more um, excursion um, Kickstarters by year's end. So yeah, plus anything. Plus I got a three-book series for Frog God I'm trying to finish, plus this new project for them. And then Bill wants me to write like literally write a 10,000 word adventure every single month if I can. So uh, it's just <laughs> crazy. Oh God. I feel like I'm uh, talking to James Spahn when it comes to that. 
No, I still can't approach his. He he can generate more words per hour than I can in a heartbeat. He's he's when he dials in, he's like a machine. I I'm all over the place. I get work done, but I can't like get one thing done as fast as he does. He's pretty amazing. Yeah, and he works in multiple systems too. I I his fl- the ability to be fluent in uh the the you know the new Star Wars the new, you know Lord of the Rings Middle Earth uh from Cubicle 7 and Swords of Wizardry and Labyrinth Lord and 5e if necessary I, I blows my mind yeah he's he's just like way smarter than I am so he's he's got it he's got it all going on and he's got it figured out I I tend to do uh you know I was I was telling somebody the other day I tend to be the guy in the market that does small Avengers, you know, 24, 32 page digest size stuff, and I just bang them out, or I write short stuff for Frog God. Uh, I mean, the biggest stuff I had to write was when I wrote the 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 adventure for Teagle Manor and some of the wings for Bill when he when he got caught up in some busy work. So, like, I did a lot for Teagle Manor. That was probably the most I did in one time for him. Really? Were you involved in the uh, Lost Lands uh, setting? Yeah, I have one region. They had given me two, but the second region they gave me was like this monstrosity of a region that um, required like heavy knowledge in the Lost Lands. And I basically went back to Mark, who's the project manager, and said, yeah, I can't. There's no way that I can do that, plus everything else that Bill needs me to do. So I'm going to just do this one southern region that's pretty much sandboxy that i can just sort of make things you know fit correctly and and they were okay with that they realized that you know they had given me one of the most brutal regions that you know i would have spent months trying to research and there's no time for it they had to give it to somebody else i think probably either bill or or matt probably did it because it was it required a lot of knowledge yeah and they would actually have that knowledge from having written the setting to a large extent well, one of the thing, one of the things I did with um, my my region, which was the southern peninsula of the very south of south portion of Lost Lands, is I wrote a lot of hooks, adventure hooks, and hooks between the um, provinces and cities and villages in the region, so that either I could go back later and then write adventures in that for him, or uh, any GM that picked up that book looked at that region could easily see the hooks there and write their own adventures so uh i hope other people did that because i think that's a that's a good thing it's not just like here's a village ten thousand people lots of farmers grain so this was like you know i had some crazy stuff that i wrote that was just just waiting to be used as adventure hooks well i think that's what a good setting needs is the hooks because that gives you know the gm that's running the setting stuff to work off of you know it makes it come alive right and i also made i I put a lot of intrigue and political nonsense in there so that there was like these like these three towns that were all like fighting amongst themselves and you know if you pulled you know pulled one lever in this town it would like would break some of the trust in these other two towns i mean i really made it so that it was it was there's some depth to just these um some of the backgrounds of all these places. It was a lot of fun to write. Actually, I enjoyed it. Uh, but it's not, that's not my forte to write, you know, uh, that sort of, um, provincial, uh, you know, regional, you know, background and stuff. That's not my forte, but I had fun with that region. Well, that's good. Well, yeah, your strength a lot of times is adventure writing, whether it's Gamma World or 
whether it's an OSR system, you, you've, or, or not even just that, writing your excursions, which are pretty much like mini adventures or, you know, very meaty story hooks. Yeah, one of the things I like to do is I like to provide um, low cost solutions for for GMs and players to have something that's just, you know, it's affordable. I mean, we're getting to the age where there's a lot of expensive books and to be able to still get a book for, you know, 10 bucks or 12 bucks, it's going to give you enough enough playability for a period of time, I think is, is reasonable. And I try to do that. I try to try to produce stuff because everybody's doing these full color hardback tomes and I'm still pushing out black and white digests. And I, I feel like that's my niche. So how many excursions are there currently published available? Well, the first three are available and published with mountain excursions. The last one, uh, last Kickstarter actually just available um, to backers today in print on demand. And later this week, I'll open it up to um, the public on drive through for people to be able to buy the, the PDF and print on demand. That leaves two more. That leaves um, cities in the rest of the water excursions. I've been building the water excursions as Kickstarter stretch goals. So people, when they backed um, mountain excursions, they got the 20 plus the three bonus stretch goals plus a separate PDF of four or five water excursions. And the goal is that at the end of the cities, which is the fourth one, I will then produce a hardcover of all the excursions in one giant tome that will have all the water ones in there as well. And we'll probably even have like some dungeon excursions. I mean, I, I didn't do a dungeon excursion book because I felt like... 90% of what's written out there is already dungeon stuff, but I figure that, yeah, it's stretch goals for a big hardcover. That'd be fun. Oh God. Yeah. And be able to drop, uh, uh, I don't know, like a, a random event into your, you know, mega dungeon. It'd be great if I, you know, throw that into a rapid ass or something that the players are not expecting, but can still, still fit in there. That's, that's fun stuff. Yeah, I get. Uh, I've talked to Glenn, who does all my cartography over at Monkey Blood, and he's he really wants to build that hardcover for me at the end. So that if we if the timing's right, we'll probably hit that either end of year or beginning of twenty twenty. We'll have the full, basically the compilation of all of those um, ready to rock. Working with Glenn must be uh, Glenn must be awesome. His work is amazing. Yeah, Glenn, I've been with him for a long time. Actually, I saw his work i want to say in the first myth horde crate and i immediately contacted him and said look i like to write i hate drawing my maps because i'm not good at it can you do it for me and i was like one of his you know and it wasn't his first customer but i was one of the early ones and i've been giving him work non-stop since then for years it's, he's prolific at it and and it's whether he's doing it in black and white or color most of the stuff i've seen that recently from his color it, it it the maps are actually artwork they aren't just you know nice and serviceable or you know it, it, they're they're solid art and, and that's it's beautiful stuff yeah there's, there's you know like it's it's one of the few any award winners that i actually say yeah this was this was legitimate this was this was deserved well you, you know glenn wasn't going around social media trying to uh drum up uh the masses he doesn't he has people that follow him he has people that love the work he does but 
it's not the same as certain other personalities who like I don't know have rabid fans that will follow them any, everywhere and anywhere. Yeah, his work speaks for itself. I mean, when you see it, it's like it's just perfect. And for me, you know, a lot of those black and white maps he does, they just fit the style of my of my adventures. So he's actually working on eight maps right now for me. So <laughs> it's going to be pretty busy. Oh God, yeah, you ain't kidding. Nice. I'm trying to finish that TMNT adventure I ran in North Texas last year. The one that's um, where you basically start off as lab animals and you get blasted into a feudal Japan as uh, like TMNT characters. And it was a blast to run. And it's like completely 100% written and ready to go. It just needs map and art. So I figured I'd just finish that up while I can. Well, that should be fun. Hmm. So... I know you have a web store and you have a presence on RPG now and your Kickstarters, by the way, seem to always be on time or early. Not my imagination. Nah, you know, there's a lot of us smaller indie publishers, you know, Lloyd and me, um, Telanian. I mean, we're all like trying to be, you know, you know, we have the same style, which is that we write a lot of the work long before the Kickstarter launches so that we're on top of it. We, you know, we, we eat that stuff to some of that cost early to make sure that we can, we can deliver on time. Um, we've all got tons of Kickstarter experience at this point and we know the sweet spots and we know the, you know, how to make the deliverables, uh, you know, come out on time. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't want to produce a Kickstarter that's not going to be on time. I feel like that's, you know, there's too many people who just, do that and there's too many people who just allow that to happen when you back my stuff it's going to be it's going to be earlier on time because you know that's that's it's a pride thing for me it's like i want that to be what i'm known for known for you know affordable small pieces of work that you can use right away plus you're going to get my stuff on time i like it <laughs> you know how i am with uh, kickstarters late yeah i'm always willing to i'm willing i was willing to you know, put the project in the pipeline and let it get further along. And then when it's ready, it's ready. We'll back, we'll kick it. I'm not going to, you know, I have a day job that pays the bills. I don't need the right. cash from Kickstarter like right now. So I'll, I'll eat the cost. I'll get the art done. I'll get a lot of the, um, the, the maps done. I'll pay, you know, I'll pay to get, uh, all the rest of the stuff edited or whatever. And then, you know, when it's ready, it's ready. And then people get a finished product. You back my thing, you know, you're gonna get you're gonna get something either PDF or printed in two to three months. You're never gonna wait, you know, half a year to get my stuff. Well, I, I know you're with your excursions, uh, Kickstarters, and the, the final products are, are awesome. Uh, they really are. I guess you could say plug and play. I mean, if you if you need uh, something to, I don't know, spark spark a full adventure. Or, or link two or three of the little excursions within into a larger adventure. It, it's great when you are short on time because it's all it's all there to inspire you to go a little bit further with it. But you, you've done the grunt work. Well, what's funny is the biggest complaint I've had for excursions is there's not a five E version, <laughs> and and I say you know system neutral. You got boxes, put your stats in there, and you got your 5e. But um, when I do the hardcover compilation at the end, I am considering doing just Swords and Wizardry and just 5e. 
having um, open text boxes in a hardcover seems like that would be sacrilege for people to write in it. Like my my print on demand books are inexpensive, so if you want to print, it, you know, want to write in it, it's no harm, no foul. But a big hardcover, I would never. I would never write in it, so I may do Swords of Wizardry and Five E for that. We'll see. Well, it's I got a year yet, so I used to tell people when we were doing the uh, Pathfinder by the Pound at different uh, conventions, and they're like, "But I don't play Pathfinder. I play Five E, or I don't play Pathfinder. I play Swords of Wizardry." I go, "At five dollars a pound, these are the only hardbacks you can actually write in, and not feel guilty." That's true. But yeah, I, I, I know. I, I used to write in my, uh, I, you know, my old uh, TSR modules. I would, you know, write on the pages as the hit points were, you know, as creatures were being killed, knocking off the hit points and shit like that. But uh, yeah, in the hardbacks and the rule books, I, I knew some people that would like highlight. <sighs> Makes me cringe even to this day. I mean, a lot of my original books, uh, BX and, and first edition, have a lot of my handwriting in it because you know, back then you didn't think about value and collectability. You thought about playing and having stuff, you know, available for for the table. But um, I look back on some of what I some of the stuff I wrote in there. I was like, man, what was I thinking? Yeah, I know. Same way. But you know, in this day and age, it's like. When someone produces a hundred and twenty dollar hardcover, you're you're not going to see someone want to write in that thing. But so that's where I that's where I struggle. It's like I don't want to produce a very expensive book that people are never going to use. They're just going to keep it on a shelf because it's collectible. I want people to use my stuff, and that's sort of why I've drifted to this. Yeah, thirty two pages or less. That's what you're going to get from me. I think it's a perfect size. Honestly, it keeps the uh, the cost down, so the buy in is is easier. And you get a lot of content in those 32 pages, man. There's a lot of inspiration in those excursions. Yeah, I mean, the only, the, only, the only stuff that I will produce that's any bigger than that will be, like I said, when I do the compilation for all the excursions, that's obviously going to be bigger. Um, when I write stuff for Frog God, uh, obviously some of the Teagle work and other stuff has been more than a couple of pages. So that's, but that's their, you know, that's their job to figure out how to get that all printed up and whatever. And I do have this one project that I jokingly keep telling James Spawn that, you know, I want to, I want to do this big project. I want to do this pretty good sized book, but I only will do it if he wants to do it with me, because I feel like if he and I do that together, it's a sure win. Oh, Jesus. I, I'd, be, I'd be buying in pre pre-order, uh, you know, pre Kickstarter. I'm, uh, I'm all in on that. Well, I feel like, you know, I like, I want to reinvent the wheels. It won't be a, a RPG system. I don't want to just do an adventure because, you know, I do that already. I want to do a, basically a campaign setting, basically a world. Um, and I have something that I started that I realized once I started, it was going to take me way too long to finish on my own. Um, right. and I pitched it to him, uh, late last year and he was interested, but as you know, he's, he's like singly focused on the work that he's got in this, in the pipeline now. But if I can get a free moment from him, we'll talk about it again. And I think if he and I, uh, really collaborate on that, I think it would be a pretty nice product. Well, if you're looking to grab him face to face, he will be at North Texas. Oh, I, I, I I'll hit him again with it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he's going to be uh, running games for the frog. That's awesome. So, all right. So now, uh, as we're getting close to wrap up time here, 
what is the next uh, you, you've mentioned a lot of products that are in the pipeline but what's the next one we're going to see from you is that new uh basics yeah so march is the eighth issue of back to basics that's about halfway completed right now and probably will be done in the next seven to ten days uh it's got a it's got an interview with janelle um new new beautiful cover art from matt ray of course new comic from travis uh i review some of necrotic gnomes last couple of books in the series um it's got a good cool adventure in the center um it's gonna be a good one definitely a good one um we're getting close to the end of those so i haven't really announced that so first time saying it in in public probably gonna do 10 issues and probably call it a day uh unfortunately only because it's you know i love making them but you know people don't realize that if you're producing a quarterly uh all by yourself it sort of like locks you into one month of work where you can do it yourself for other people or yourself so i feel like 10 issues is a pretty good milestone we'll probably do something very cool at the end of that Okay. And do and do like a fanzine, um, fanzine compilation with more comics and adventure material at the end. But that's you know that's next year probably. So we'll do ten issues, but eight comes out in March. And then uh, the the Gamazine fanzine on Kickstarter was totally off the chart for me. I just did not see that coming. Three dollar PDFs, and I almost made as much as I did for excursions, which blew my mind. Wow. Yeah, so that was very cool, and um, I had a. I found out that the Gamma World fan base is like really rabid. Uh, I did a. I did a pod. I did a video um, interview with um, the Apocalypse Group uh, that they had me on there, and they talked about all this. Um, I think. I think it's. Um, God, what's the name of their podcast? It's something like uh, something Ground Zero. I forget, but it was. It's really a, It was you know the fans were insane about what I was putting in it. And I actually got an interview with James Ward for that, which is very cool. Oh, nice. Yeah. So that'll be in March as well. Probably end of March. Uh, that one's more than half done. That's like 75% done. I'm just doing, um, a couple little bits to finish it up. And then right after that, uh, I'll have the fi- the final book in the three book series for frog God completed. What they're going to do with that. I don't know. So they've they've talked about, um, well, first they wanted me to build three independent, but somewhat connected, um, 10,000 word books for Indiegogo. Cause you know, they got that short Indiegogo series going, but then after I pitched the idea, I started writing it. I told them there's no way because they're they're a little deeper than that. So they decided, you know what, forget it. Let's pull the three books into one, probably big, book we'll make it a kickstarter and we'll kick it that way so that's going to be sometime later this year most likely uh and then it's just getting ready for north texas we're doing another um monochrome book for north texas again uh spinning off on another fan favorite of the bx series and then obviously all my independent work for throwy games for north texas which always ends up being a, a beast of a of a run to get to to the first week of june so that's really what's on the plate right now Okay. Well, I'm going to make like back to basics is available in print at Goodman games and PDF at RPG. Now, am I right on that? That is absolutely correct. Yes. I got that right. Look at that. Um, and of course your own store, I'll include links to all of that in the show notes. 
for those that are interested in finding them, you should be. Back to Basics is just an awesome, comfortable read. Really is an excellent job there. Yeah, and then of course I'm also um, prepping for September, which is Shire Khan, which is my convention up here. So that's a lot of work to get ready for that as well. Oh, I, I will certainly be there. And uh, it was a great turnout last year for a, a f- year one of the con. I'm looking forward to see uh, year two. Yeah, we're looking for about a 20% increase. And I think we're going to get, um, I think we were going to try to get Mr. Curtis to come out too. So that'll be good. Well, very cool. Excellent. Yeah, so it's a bit of work, but it's you know I wouldn't have it any other way. If I'm if I if I don't, if I'm not doing work, I'm going to be sleeping. So I might as well just do some, do some work. Ah, you see now that that just like that mm, sleeping is just so nice when it's a nap. Uh, well, for you, you know, I've been doing IT work all my life, so I actually start to to start to fire on more cylinders around 11, 30, 12 o'clock at night. So I just tend to put that to good use and just to get some writing done. So. Okay. Makes sense. Good enough. Well, you know, Tom, thank you so much for joining me. Yeah. Thanks for having me. It's uh, it's great to always chat about games. Oh God. Yeah. That, that's really the, you know, it's the love of the hobby. I think that we're all in this, whether we're creators or, or, consumers or players or collectors we're all in it because we love the offerings we love what's out there and we love you know creating even if you're not you know writing or drawing if you're playing you're creating you're working on a skill creating a story even as a player so i think that's why it's such a great hobby yeah i agree all right on 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 that note uh we are going to say good night or bye I guess if you're listening in the morning, it's we can't say good morning. We say goodbye, I guess, whatever. Um, as always, folks, uh, look at the show notes. We, I really appreciate everybody checking in and listening to the uh, podcast. Uh, as a quick side note, it's probably going to – looks like that February is going to continue the trend of just stronger and stronger months when it comes to uh, plays of the podcast. So thank you all. And uh, – God bless and roll your dice well. Uh, We'll talk with you all tomorrow. Good night, folks.